Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Michael Laser, author of the new novel, Eulogy. Christina Baker-Klein, author of the New York Times bestselling novel, Orphan Train, wrote about Eulogy, a heartfelt novel about a son's search for the truth about his seemingly ordinary father's hidden life. Eulogy is achingly bittersweet. As he begins asking questions he isn't sure he wants to know the answers to, the son is forced to reassess everything he believes about the people he loves and ultimately examine his own life choices and decisions. Quietly observed and richly absorbing. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your new novel, Eulogy, how would you describe the novel? Um, well, it's about a man who discovers just a few hours after delivering the eulogy at his father's funeral that his father spent three years in prison, which makes no sense to him whatsoever. He can't put that together with the image he's always had of his father, who is a kind of a small, ordinary, friendly guy, law-abiding citizen. Um, so that happens pretty much on page one, and the rest of the book is his search for understanding how how this could possibly have happened. Um, this is also, you know, this this son has always been a little disappointed in his father that he was such a sort of small, ordinary guy, and um, it turns out either it's I don't want to give too much away, but sure, uh, there's more. You know, much more to his father than he ever suspected. Well, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to writing the novel? Yeah, um, it came in three parts separated by several years. Um, I'll try to do this succinctly. Um, the first was when I delivered the eulogy at my own father's funeral. Um, he had been sick for a few years. It wasn't a surprise when he died. I thought that I, you know, I was in control of myself and the situation. But um, midway through giving the eulogy, I, I found that my throat closed up. I, I couldn't breathe. I was the emotion just overcame me. And I thought, you know, later l- looking back at that moment, I thought that was that was a powerful emotion. I should I should explore that somehow someday in a book. Um, but I didn't, that was like 20 years ago and I, I didn't do anything with it for a long time. Then um, a few years later, there was an incident that people listening may remember, especially if, if they, um, I don't know, I guess New Yorkers all remember this. I don't know if people in other places heard about it, but a man passed out on the subway platform and fell onto the tracks and another man jumped a train was on coming into the station another man jumped onto the tracks covered the first guy with his body to protect him and you know (laughs) to most to most new yorkers that's an insane thing to do because it didn't seem that there was enough room under a train for one body let alone two Um, but it turned out there was and neither man was injured um and i think that everyone who heard that story must have thought to themselves what would I have done in that situation? You, you know, I, I, I always would hope that I would be brave and heroic, but you never, you know, it's hard to imagine yourself jumping onto subway tracks with a train coming. Um, so that gave me the idea of writing about 
an ordinary person who does something extremely brave at risk, great risk to himself. Um, and I didn't know what that gesture would be, but so that was part two. The third and final um, element in the story came when I read a book called Beautiful Souls by a journalist named Al Press. Um, and there were several stories in it about people who um, basically went against laws or norms of their societies to do what they felt was right. And one story in particular um, just resonated with me. It was about a Swiss police commander during World War II who allowed Jews fleeing from Austria into the country. He was supposed to keep them out by law. Um, but he, um, anyway, he, he ended up losing his job, losing his reputation. He you know, was in disgrace after that. And um, years later, his daughter asked him why he had done it. And he, he, he said, I could do no otherwise. And I felt that 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 was what I wanted to write about. Someone who is aware of what seems to be a, a grave injustice and um, takes a big risk in order to help someone who needs help. Those, those are the three elements that combined to make the story. That's great. What was your original writing journey that led you to writing and getting your first short stories and your first novel published? Well, <laughs> um, this is almost embarrassing to tell. Um, yeah. it, it started well, that, with my mother. There. My mother never you finished high school. Around. She grew up during the Depression and went to work. All of but in spite of a lack of education, she worshipped great writers. And to her, that meant like John Steinbeck, The Grapes of Wrath, someone who um, would write a, a weighty, terrific novel exposing injustice and um, or taking the side of ordinary people. Anyway, that I, I was there were books all over our house, and it was um, a very kind of book reverent home. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was that was a seed that was very hard to, you know, not have planted in my head. And then I had a, you know, I think probably a lot of writers have this experience. They had a teacher, I had a teacher in sixth grade who was very demanding and also very encouraging and thought that I was talented. Now, in seventh grade, my English teacher thought I was a terrible writer. <laughs> so I forgot all about it. I just like let go of it altogether and I didn't um, pursue it. But then one day, um, after freshman year of college on summer vacation, it's a very strange thing. It's, it's like a religious vocation or awakening. I woke up one morning and I suddenly just knew what I was going to do with the rest of my life. I said to myself, I want to be a writer. And that, and strangely enough, I never have turned back or doubted it since that moment. In spite of, you know, I think most writers face mountains of rejections, and I certainly did. Um, but I, I kept up a certain confidence and optimism in spite of that. Well, did you go to an MFA program? I wasn't sure I saw in your bio you mentioned a, a master's. Yes. Um, when I was in college, I, I idolized John Barth, whose writing is totally different from, from anything that I do. Um, but he, he's really very brilliant and clever and funny. And um, he taught at Johns Hopkins. And so that was my first choice to go to. Um, I 
ended up going there. And I have to say that it was quite an experience. It's, it's really something to sit at a seminar table with someone that you've idolized. And I would just like sit there say, staring at him and <laughs> not, I said, I can't believe I'm here. You know, I was very young. I was I'm 21 or 22. Um, and I really, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing, but uh, <laughs> it was a great experience. And my first published story came in his workshop. Um, I'd been writing stories since my sophomore year of college and, and very over-optimistically sending them to the New Yorker and other places and, you know, only getting rejection slips back, occasionally a little scribble encouragement at the a PS. But my first um, yes came from a story that I wrote in his class. And that was probably the most exciting moment of my life, I have to say. There have been other exciting moments, but just you know, after four years of diligently sending stuff out to get that that yes, I was in my apartment in Baltimore, um, and I was with a couple friends. We were we were just on our way out, and I opened the envelope and read it, and I screamed. So that that was a great moment. <laughs> that's that's wonderful. What was your writing process when you were working on eulogy? You talked earlier about these three kind of inspirations or or ideas that combined that you wanted to write about. Um, are you a writer who who sits down and kind of plans the novel or writes an outline, or did you just have these general ideas and then kind of dive into the narrative? How did that work for you? Well, um, this is I, my process is slightly different each time, but they're the basic the overall thing stays the same. I wish that I were the kind of writer who could sit down and just start um, playing with ideas and seeing what comes out and and let a lot come out and then see what it adds up to. <laughs> um, you're, probably, you're probably familiar with George Saunders, and, and he has a really terrific book um, called A Swim in the Pond in the Rain, where he it's, it's based on his class that he teaches at Syracuse, where he goes over these um, seven, I think, Russian stories with his students and talks about what each one is doing at each point. Actually, I'm, I'm totally off track. The point, the point was George Saunders is someone who explores and then sees what the story is about and reshapes it. Every time I've tried to do that, what comes out is awful garbage <laughs> and, and <laughs> unsalvageable. And so I just, I just gave up. I'm an outliner. I have to plan. I, I do a lot of planning before I even put one word of the actual text down. So with eulogy, I had to kind of decide, you know, at first it was just, a, I wanted it to be about someone who does a heroic action, but then I thought, but wait a minute, maybe this is, maybe it'll be even better if it's something that somebody else, the son, never knew about and is discovering and is uncovering bit by bit, rather than just telling the narrative of what happened at that moment. Um, so you know, constructing that, that narrative helped. And I have to say that, you know, sometimes I will, I will borrow a, <laughs> I know I'm not the only one who does this, but I will borrow a, a very um, archetypal structure from somewhere else to sort of just help me figure out where I'm going. In this case, that was Citizen Kane. <laughs> that idea, you know, of like, something happens, somebody dies, there's a mystery, and then the rest of the story is trying to going to meet different people who knew that person, exploring it, trying to figure out what really happened. And the answers keep turning, you know, keep revealing different sides of the person. 
Um, and the son, in, in the case of eulogy, isn't really, you know, he, he's not sure what to think after all this because so many of the stories contradict each other. And they all seem to be true. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. So interesting. So have you started thinking about or actually writing another novel yet? Um, I have. I, I finished one. I'm, it's <laughs> out. It's out looking for a publisher. So, ah. um, and yeah, in fact, while that's out, I've been started playing around with another one. So, yeah. Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels? Well, that's hard. You know, everybody's so different. Um, on the one hand, I think people who are driven to do it are going to do it though. And you have to, have to actually sit and do it. I have a lot of friends, I think, who have wanted to write and are very smart and I think creative and talented, but never finished anything. Um, because you know, I don't know, maybe it's a lack of confidence or something. Um, in my case, I had the confidence whether it was justified or not. And, um, I just kept doing it. And I think you, you have to, that's the main thing. You have to really keep doing it. But then you find yourself in the position of having written something and you're not sure what to think of it. You don't know, is this very good? Is it not? And, I, and that's when it's helpful to be part of a workshop, which, which I was through college and in grad school and for a little while afterwards. Um, at a certain point, I stopped doing that I, um, because, I don't know, but <laughs> you have to find people readers who are basically sympathetic to what you're doing if you get criticism from people who really don't like it at all um it's not going to be helpful but if but if people see what you're trying to do and can offer constructive criticism that um helps you get where you're trying to go rather than change it completely i i think that's probably the best thing you can do and of course i'm sure that Everyone you've asked that question of, if you've asked other people the same question, would probably say, just keep reading, keep reading, find what inspires you. Um, I think that some of, there are many books that I've loved, very few that I've wanted to um, imitate or learn from, um, just because, you know, they were too, most things are too far away from what I wanted to do. But certain, certain books have certainly influenced me and and that's that can be very helpful i know there's there's a danger of just becoming you know mimicking someone else's style but i think over time eventually you you develop something of your own well on that note what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed um there's a there's a funny thing to tell about that um 
for most of my life, I, I'm in my 60s now, most of my life, the books, all of the authors, the books that I admired the most were written by men, except for stories by Grace Paley, who I really admired and loved. But in the last couple of years, all of the books that I've liked the most have been by women. Uh, and I don't know what, I don't know what changed, but um, anyway, I, I will, I'll tell you about a few of them. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you're familiar with a book called Milkman by Anna Burns, which I think one it's, she's from Northern Ireland and it won the Booker Prize a few years ago. It's a first person narrative by a teenage girl who kind of isn't unwilling, unwillingly caught in some of the issues of the troubles of violence in, in Northern Ireland. And it's a, it's actually, it's such an engaging voice from the very first sentence. Um, I loved it. I loved it so much that I wrote the author a fan letter, which I've only done once in my life before that. <laughs> and she's, I think she's a very shy and private person. She doesn't even have a website. So I mailed it to a, a letter on paper to our publisher and she wrote back. Um, I, I got a card back a little, quite a while later because, you know, she's over, over the pond. And so... It, it was great. I mean, what I said in my, my note to her was that if anyone loved any of my books as much as I loved Milkman, it would make me deliriously happy to hear it. So I felt obligated to tell her that. <laughs> um, and she wrote back a really friendly note saying, you know, I mean, I thought she has, she won the Booker Prize. She must be, you know, drowning in praise. This one little note isn't going to mean much. But she said, you'd be surprised, <laughs> you know, it's a miserable gray day. I have to do the laundry. Your note really picked me up. <laughs> so anyway, I, I was, it was like getting a, a, a note from like your favorite movie star. I was really excited to get it. But I'll quickly mention a couple other things that I liked a lot. Um, the Friend by Sigrid Nunez. Um, I don't know that whether that's won prizes or not, it probably has it. It's a very short, very clever book. Um, Gilead by Marilyn Robinson uh, is I, Obama loved that book, and he invited her to the White House to talk about it. I saw a little video of them chatting. Um, I'm not a religious person, but I loved this book. It was um, a very persuasive, very sympathetic portrait of an elderly minister um, and his thoughts and the things he wanted to convey to his young son. And I'll I'll, I'll mention one more. Um, it's called Ducks comma Newburyport by Lucy Elman. And it's like more than a thousand pages of stream of consciousness um, from inside the mind of an Ohio housewife who's thinking about all of the anxieties of the moment. Um, everything from getting her pies baked and delivered to climate change to Donald Trump's presidency. Um, and it's both ingenious and hilarious. Um, I I know it's not an easy read, but I read a few pages a night over a long period of time, and I, I really enjoyed it a lot. So that's those all. That's those all sound great. This, <laughs> let me, wait, I got to mention one more. One yeah, absolutely. Guy, uh, Gary Steingart's memoir called "Little Failure." He, he was born in Russia and came here when he was a kid, um, and has written a bunch of novels, comic novels um, that are pretty successful. But I love this memoir. It's very funny um, and it's sort of poignant, but also it, it felt like he was like a distant cousin because my my mother's parents came from Russia. And and then I discovered in this book that he grew up like a mile from where I grew up. Um, like he's 20 years younger than I am, but um, <laughs> that was an amazing thing to discover. 
Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels and your short stories? Um, well, I have a website. It's just my name, michaellasser.com, L-A-S-E-R.com. And, you know, Amazon has all the books. So that's, and I have a Facebook author page too. If you just, I think, I don't know what you do. You type in Michael Lesser author, it'll pop up. And I, I'm not, I'm not a huge social media person. So I don't, I don't put things up there often, but if you, if people are curious and they scroll through it, they'll find things that all kinds of things, books that I liked, silly things, funny things, things I wrote or drew, things, whatever. <laughs> Well, again, we've been speaking to Michael Lasser, author of the new novel, Eulogy. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Michael, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you, Jeff. That was, it was really fun, and I appreciate your inviting me. Absolutely. My father had a sweet, crooked smile that made him seem shyer than he really was. In almost every picture, he looks as if someone just told him a joke about a rabbi and a hooker. He's wearing that half-embarrassed smile in the little black-and-white photo in my hand. But who's the girl snuggling against him? Black-haired, slightly buck-toothed, like him, she leans against his shoulder but seems worried. Con amore, Silvia, she wrote on the back, in unsteady script, the ink translucent blue. He's wearing a clean khaki uniform and is still as thin as young Frank Sinatra, no sign of the belly to come. Rome, July 1945, he printed under her name. That was the year he came home and married Mom, after an engagement prolonged by the war. He's so inconceivably young here, ten years younger than my younger son. I wonder if he broke Sylvia's heart. This morning I delivered his eulogy. An hour later we dropped handfuls of dirt on his casket. And just now, at his kitchen table, I discovered that he kept secrets. My cheerful, well-liked, hard-working father spent three years in prison. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.